0: Hi, you are now listening to a sermon from Harvest Community Church in Hoffman Estates, Illinois. We're happy to bring you sermons like this one every week. You can find other sermons at our site at harvest-community.org. So without further ado, here's our speaker. Hello. Good morning. <clears throat> it's really good to be back uh, in Chicago for the holidays and just be able to see our families and for our, our kids to get to know their families. Uh, we've been gone for about a year and a half. My oldest is now six years old, and she remembers being here, but the, the middle one, is she was three and a half. When, she just turned three when we left, and the little guy was uh, <clears throat> four months old when we left, so they're just getting to know people, and they're getting to know Chicago. They're getting used to the cold uh, weather here. Uh, but it's really good to be back. Uh, I'm grateful. To, I was here a year ago, some of you might remember. Uh, and it was, honestly, it was my first time coming back to the States. And I remember uh, one of the guys, the guy speaking in the video other than me, his name's Dave. And uh, I remember Dave telling me, he said, you'll know if you're really called to be here. Talking about Iraq, he said, "You'll know if you're really called to be here after your first time going back to the states." He says, "Because a lot of people will go overseas and they feel a call, and then they get a chance to go back to the states, and all of a sudden they miss the food, they miss the comfort, they miss you know everything that comes with being in America." And he says, "So you'll know." And so I was really nervous when I came back last year, uh, and I was really encouraged to you know within 48 hours to find myself miserable, uh, <clears throat> namely. Mainly because I wasn't with my wife, who's here with me now. So that's the best part of this trip. And so as we prepared to come back, and the kids were nervous about leaving Iraq, and they didn't want to come uh, back here, uh, we were just encouraging them that the best part about coming back to the states was that we get to do it together. Uh, so it's a real joy for us, joy for me to be here with my wife. Last year, I got to eat all the, I got to eat portillos and all the stuff that I wanted to eat, but I was eating alone, so it wasn't as good. <laughs> So, I'm glad I get to enjoy this with, with my wife this time. Uh, so, like I've said, we've been in Iraq for about a year and a half. The team has been there now for about four years, and so we jumped in at the latter part of, of their time there. Uh, since i've been there uh, since I've been there, we've seen about sixteen uh, former Muslims get baptized uh, in the last year and a half. we've uh, seen f- at least five uh, refugees. Uh, get genuinely born again. Some others have made professions of faith and others have prayed prayers and others have, have kind of walked with God for a little bit. But as Jesus tells the parable of the sower, sometimes the seed falls on rocky ground. And we've seen that, that you know, uh, desire to, to want to know God get choked out by fear, by persecution, by just the affairs of life. Uh, but we've seen people get born again uh, since I've been there. Um, We also have a house of prayer you guys saw in the video, and so the desire there is to have a place in Iraq, have a place in the Middle East where uh, 24-7 worship and prayer can be offered up to the Lord. Uh, Primary reason, because He deserves it. It's not because it's cool or trendy, but because God deserves to be worshipped in every nation, every tribe, every tongue, and so we want to be a part of building that and for it to have a a local sound like we said in the video. It would be very easy uh, if I'm being honest, to, to get people to come to Iraq that play instruments and to come be part of a house of prayer because we live in a safe part of Iraq and the house of prayer is, you know, it's great. and We can get tons of Americans and Europeans to come be there and spend their lives there because it's trendy. They can take pictures and throw them on Instagram and Facebook and everybody's going to think, you know, man, you guys are really doing it. Uh, but we don't want that. We want it to be a local sound. We want more and more Arabic and Kurdish and Farsi and any other languages that are possible to, to worship the Lord, if we want more of that. And so I, we spend a lot of time in the prayer room trying to engage as people are worshiping in a different language that we don't understand. Uh, but it's it's a good problem to have. And so, so far, since I've been there, since I've been there, I, I tried to tally this up the best I could. But in the last year and a half, we've had 200 hours uh, of prayer and worship straight. And so with that and the regular prayer meetings, it's been close to 700 hours of just worship and prayer offered up to the Lord uh, in our prayer room. And most of it is all locals. Most of it is local believers that are coming and they're learning how to, like I said, they're learning how to play piano, they're learning how to sing, they're learning how to run a soundboard. Uh, and so if I'm being honest, it doesn't really sound too good because <laughs> they're learning. But it's, it's precious to the Lord, and so it's precious to us. you know. Also, uh, we've spent, I mean, in the refugee camps, we're, we're there once, we're, we're at the camps twice a week, and each time we're there for anywhere between three to four hours. It depends on if they're feeding us. We usually don't have a choice. They just say, hey, we, we cooked all this food. What are you going to let us do? You're going to have us throw it out, which is them twisting our arms. But they enjoy it, and we enjoy it because the food's good. But uh, we, we, we're at the camps a couple times a week. We have a house church in the camp, in one of the camps where a guy who, I'll tell you about his name, used to be Muhammad, but after he became born again, he wanted to go by Daniel. And so Daniel is an Arab from Mosul, and so we live in Kurdistan, which is the northern part of Iraq, and so those are all Kurds, it's a different people group, they're not Arabs. And so we live in Kurdistan amongst the Kurds, and the Kurds have been persecuted by the Arabs for generations, and so... They don't like the Arabs. It's 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 kind of like if you think of you know before the civil rights movement with blacks and whites here in America, except there's not segregation where you can't drink out of a certain water fountains, but you just look at them as like a lower class of humanity. And so now that the Arabs have, are are IDPs, we don't call them refugees because they're internally displaced people because they're from within Iraq. And so now that we have all these IDPs in Kurdistan. Uh, and they have these camps set up. We go there. And so Daniel is an Arab from Mosul. Mosul is, right now, it's ISIS headquarters. It's where ISIS has been based out of in Iraq for the last two years. Right now, they're actually fighting for uh, the U.S. coalition with the Kurdish military. And many other countries are fighting for Mosul uh, because they're, they're, planning, they're taking it back. Uh, but that's been ISIS headquarters for the last two and a half years. And I asked, oh, I forgot her name. Who are, some, We were praying in the back and we're talking about Jonah. And I asked if that was a coincidence or if that was planned because Mosul is in the state of Nineveh. And so as we are praying this morning for the kids to learn about Jonah, as we saw the, the video, I'm, I'm, in my heart I'm also praying for another great move of God in Nineveh. That God would reach those people, as he said in the video, those, those wicked, the city is filled with wicked people and God still loves them. And so we see on the news, right? ISIS, and these guys are barbarians, and they're doing all these crazy, wicked things, and we have to convince ourselves that God still loves them just as much as He loves us, right? So anyways, Daniel, he's from Mosul. He has a dream about eight years ago where Jesus appears to him. He becomes a believer. He starts following Jesus. He doesn't know any other Christians living in Mosul. He doesn't know any other Christians. Al-Qaeda actually burned down his house because he converted to Christianity. And... <clears throat> so he found another house, and he was there for a couple of years, and then he had a dream one night that he was supposed to leave Mosul. So he woke up the next day, he left Mosul. That day, ISIS showed up and took over the city. And so he's now in a refugee camp about seven minutes away from our house. We've been So when we, we got to the camp, uh, we met him, and he said, Yeah, I don't need it. He, this is what he said the first time I met him. He says, we, we don't, I don't need any of your stuff. I don't need any of your stuff. We have the Holy Spirit. That's all I need. I just want your friendship. Would you guys just come and eat with us and spend time with us, pray with us, teach us the Bible? Because he had no, He didn't know any other believers. And so we began to do that every week. And we'd go, and that's when i talk about, like, he'd force us. He's, the, he's a jokester. He likes to prank us, you know, and he likes to prank when we bring Americans over. And so he's the one who'll cook all the food and then give us a guilt trip about leaving because we have stuff to do. Uh, but he's a great hes a great guy, he, he loves the Lord, he's, he reads his Bible, he prays. Uh, and so we've been just sitting with him, sharing the word, sharing meals, praying together, praying for him and his family. His kids, he says, his, his kids don't even understand Islam. Coming from a Muslim, in, living in Iraq, where everyone, if you go to a public school, you learn the Quran, you learn about Islam. And he's, he does, his kids, and we, we've kind of working with him through this, because he doesn't send his kids to school because he doesn't want them to learn the Quran, But his kids now don't know how to read. They're not, very, they're not educated because they're not in school. And so for him, it's a price he's willing to pay, and we're trying to help him work through you know, different options for his kids to learn. Uh, but he's just a real special guy. And it's just very encouraging because after a few months, he started ministering to other people in the camps. And so then three brothers got born again that are also refugees from Mosul. And they, so all together now, we have this house church with this, Daniel, his family, and these three brothers. And we get together every Saturday morning, and we go to Daniel's house. We have some tea. Then we go to so another, the, the three brothers' tent. We have a house church meeting where we'll just worship. We'll pray. We'll, sh- we'll share the scriptures with them. We'll ask how they're doing. Uh, sometimes we'll say, hey, you know, can you come out of the camp? We want to take you guys out to eat and just hang out. Uh, and so we're just doing life there. We're making, you know, disciples. Right? We're, doing, we're doing life on life. Uh, so it's been, really, it's been a real joy to, to know Daniel and his family. At the same time, I, I don't want to make this seem unrealistic. We've had challenges with them. right? When you're making disciples, when you're pouring into people, sometimes they don't get it. Sometimes they're still selfish, or they're prideful, or they're arrogant, or they're unteachable. Or sometimes just culturally, you're not, you're not able to figure out how to communicate certain truths of the Scriptures and... Uh, it causes tension, and so, but we still love them. We're still walking with them. We're still there for him, We're there for his family. Um, so we've seen this happening in the refugee camps, where uh, you know they're they're. Si- I'll call it persecution because that's what it is. But it's still very small compared to what other brothers and sisters are facing in other parts of the world. Where in the camps, people won't the local shops won't sell to them or their children because they're Christians now they've had you know gathered all the muslims in the camp and the the imam who's like the would be like the pastor would would say because these guys have converted to christianity the, the quran says we should kill them and you know they get a couple and we're like what what, what do you, what did they say cuz they're standing there listening to this conversation and they're and we're like well, what did they say and they say, oh yeah they said we should be killed I'm like did anybody agree they're like some agreed and they're like well, did they say they're going to kill you or kill us <laughs> You know, we've had one of them, one of the three brothers received a phone call from someone in Baghdad saying they, wanted, they had a job for him. They were going to pay him a couple thousand dollars, but they wanted him to come to Baghdad. And then he found out from someone else that it actually was a setup, that they were trying to lure him into the southern part of Iraq because there was a reward for him. And so, you know, they're, they're, they're really living this. You know, they really have the pressures that I don't have. I'm American, I'm a Christian, but I'm not a former Muslim. Right, And so there's, there's different things that, you know, things play out differently for me. Uh, at the same time, uh, we're seeing different people in the camps that are really open, that are having dreams and they're having encounters with Jesus. Like I said, Daniel had this dream years ago. We've met uh, someone. Some of you guys might have heard these stories before or these dreams that I've shared. We have a, like a private Facebook page where we share testimonies and prayer requests and things like that. But uh, my first weekend there, my first uh, Saturday In Iraq, when we moved there a year and a half ago, we met a guy who had had a dream. And this was his dream. He says, a king came down out of heaven. I was going to the mosque. He said, a king came down out of heaven. And he told me, this is a bad place. You must leave this place. And I said, who are you? he says God has sent me to you, to, 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 to come and speak to you. And we asked him, we said, well, how did you know he was a king? He said, he was wearing a crown. And we said, well, what did he look like? He said, I couldn't tell. His face was shining like the sun. And we sat there, and I remember I'm sitting there, just like, oh, my gosh, this dream's amazing. And Dave's opening up his Bible to show him where it says that Jesus will come on the clouds, where Jesus is the king of all kings, where Jesus' face shines like the sun's. We're going through. And I'm just like, man, this is, like, amazing. And, I, and it struck me that when I met this guy, he had had a dream six years prior. Six years before. Can you imagine? God reached out to this guy six years before we met him. And for six years, he had nobody to connect the dots. Nobody that could tell him that the king that came and spoke to him was Jesus. Like, it struck me, and just the reality of the fact that we were, we're in Iraq for a specific reason. We're there in a specific time where God has appointed this. <clears throat> Another... Uh, Dream of someone in the camps. They had a a woman came and she said she she came to the house church. Now many of the folks in the camp, they or well, all the folks in the camp know who we are. They call us the converters in Arabic because they know that we're there to convert people, and they don't like that. And so many people will just you know if we ask if we have stuff to give away, if we're trying to visit folks, they'll just say no, thank you, because the the security of the camp has told everyone if we see you guys welcoming the americans the converters we're going to kick you out of the camps because they don't want us coming but we've we've worked out all the you know like we've we've rubbed shoulders with all the right people and we've bought candy for all the right people and you know and so they, we can we're not going anywhere but they try and so people often won't come to won't let us in to their tents and they won't come to the house church this one lady came in one day and interrupted our house church. Actually in the video you saw there was a guy playing the guitar. We were sitting. It was that day. This lady sits down. She says I came here because I had a dream and I heard you guys interpret dreams. So this was the dream. She said I was standing on the top of a mountain and I saw a storm coming and then I saw fire come out of the sky and it hit the valley where there was a bunch of people. It hit the land, and the earth opened up and swallowed all the people, and then flowers began to grow where all the people were standing. And she said, then when I looked back up, I saw there was a man. He was 33 years old, and he was standing on the clouds. And we said, wait, how did you know he was 33? <laughs> wait a second. That's a detail. Like She's just like, I just knew. So then she says, and then next the dream changes scenes, and she says, I'm at the bottom of the mountain, and there's carloads of people coming, and I asked everyone, where are you going, and they said, ISIS is gone from Mosul, we're all going back, get in, and so she gets in, they get to Mosul, she says, I was at my house, I was in Mosul, but it didn't look like Mosul, it looked like it had been through war, it didn't look like my house, but I knew I was home, and then my neighbor said, ISIS will be back at sunrise, so I got scared and I ran into my house and I tried to find my Quran, but I couldn't find my Quran anywhere in my house. My bookshelf was filled with Bibles. So I went next to my neighbor and I said, would you let me use your Quran? And he said, why? He says, because I'm afraid. And the, my neighbor said, if you want truth, you won't find it in the Quran. If you want truth, you have to read the book on your shelf. And then she said, do you think this dream was from God? And often when we share that 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 God is using dreams and visions to, to reach people, and people are like, "Well, what do you mean you're interpreting dreams?" I'm like, "Man, they're pretty basic, man." God, God is speaking; He's speaking the language that they, that that He knows we're going to understand, right? And God is speaking; He's speaking a language that He knows that that they'll be able to to, to come to us, or whatever the case is. I mean, even some of the guys in the house church—they're coming to us and they're saying that they're meeting people, and people are telling them dreams, and they're interpreting dreams. And every once in a while, they're like, "Hey, what does this mean? I don't—I don't understand what what God was saying with this." And we'll try to—we'll pray and connect, help connect the dots. But man, this is happening all over the place. I, I mean, there's stories that I, I could share. Some stories that would probably get me thrown out and cause you know, PD a couple weeks of, uh, you know, fixing <laughs> some of these stories of, of as far as. Like my even my own doctrine and theology where I'm like, that doesn't make sense. That doesn't sit right with what I believe about God. But all of these stories really just show one thing how desperate God is to reach people. He has a desire to reach people and he'll go to great lengths. He sent his son to die on the cross. But even beyond that, he's revealing himself to people in dreams and visions and encounters through supernatural ways that we read about on the Internet that we think God's not doing that kind of stuff here. Why is he doing it there? So I've been really encouraged, man, to see God doing these things because really this isn't. This isn't my testimony. These aren't Frankie's testimonies or our team's testimonies. My heart t- this morning isn't that you guys would walk away really impressed with what we're doing, but with, with what Jesus is doing. Because these people are having dreams and encounters way before I even got there. It's got nothing to do with me. <clears throat> Another thing uh, I, I, I want to share, and I know one of you guys know Scott Grizak. He, he would be very upset at me if I didn't share where, how we're doing financially. Because for Scott, he's always like, you got to let people know so people can partner with you. You know, we've, we've since we left for Iraq, we've had everything we've needed. I was here last year, and, and, and many of you stepped up and it helped us to get heaters for our, our, our house, which is great. We're very grateful for that because uh, it keeps us warm in the wintertime. Uh, but the last couple of months have been challenging for us as we've had a few people that weren't able to, to continue on with us. And so at, at the moment, we're about $500 a month short. Uh, for our monthly, our, our monthly budget, as well as if you get our newsletters, uh, you know that in order to get our plane tickets to come back to the States, we had to borrow uh, the money from someone. We got the tickets, norm, an average ticket to Iraq round trip is about seventeen fifty. We got them for $1,000. So we literally bought them at the perfect time, but we had to borrow that money because we didn't have it on hand. and uh, I need to pay that back. And so we raised the money for that, but then, because we were short with monthly support, we had to dip into that to be able to cover uh, the month- monthly budget uh, and so right now we 're probably about eight hundred dollars short on plane tickets and then another five hundred a month. Uh, so I would ask you guys to pray and if, if God would call you to be a part of what call you to be a part of what we 're doing, uh, then please come see us in the back. I have these cards in the back with my family 's uh, face on it, and you can put it on Some of you have some already. you can add another one to your refrigerator Uh, that they're at the the welcome table. But we'll be back there to answer questions uh, if you guys have any specific questions. But uh, I want to share this morning just something that's on my heart when I think about what God is doing in Iraq because I know oftentimes when we're we're sharing these stories and people are hearing what God is doing, there's this reality of it feels like God's not doing it here. And I remember I came uh, up in the Lord from about 16 in in a real conservative uh, you know, non-charismatic background. And so when it came to these kinds of stories, I was kind of like, no way, this stuff doesn't happen anymore. It's not happening in my life, so, you know, it must not happen anymore. And I would hear these stories, and, and I, God took me, my wife, and a couple friends of ours to this real special season, where God just kind of blew our minds uh, when it came to expectations. So if you will, will you turn with me to, to Mark, chapter 16 Mark chapter 16 starting at verse 15 says and then he told them go into all the world and preach the good news to everyone anyone who believes and is baptized will be saved but anyone who refuses Refuses to believe will be condemned. These miraculous signs will accompany those who believe they will cast out demons in my name. They will speak in new languages. They will be able to handle snakes with safety and they will drink anything poisonous and it won't hurt them. And they will be able to place their hands on the sick and they will be healed. Now many of my charismatic friends love passages like this because they, you know, build a whole church on on these things. But I want to go further into these next two verses that really ministered to me many years ago. He says, when the Lord Jesus had finished talking with them, He was taken up into heaven and sat down in the place of honor at God's right hand. Verse 20. And the disciples went out everywhere and preached. And the Lord worked with them, confirming what they said by many miraculous signs. Mark says that after Jesus ascended to the heaven, the disciples, they went out and they preached and it says, God worked with them. How did God work with them? By confirming the things that they preached with miraculous signs. You know, I don't know what it is about the mission field, but oftentimes, it, 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 you, like a boldness comes over you because sometimes you feel like, well, on a short-term you know, trip, I've been on many of those where you feel like, well, I'm not going to see these people again, and so we'll just go for it, Right? And so I I live there and and I'm grateful for for the team that we have where we we try best we can to just live this as a lifestyle where we tell people God can set you free from your depression. God can set you free from your addiction. God can save your kids. God can have your husband have a change of heart. We tell people things that kind of make us nervous in the flesh, right? I remember years ago, when I was very new to just God moving in, in, in supernatural ways, I was on the phone with a, a, a friend of mine who, she said, pray for my mother. She's got, uh, nah, I don't remember what it was. it was. It was, she just had something that was kind of a big deal. She said, pray for her. And I said, oh man, I, I don't know. So I called my pastor. I said, hey, can we pray for this, this lady on Sunday because she's sick? And he said, why don't you tell her to come to church on Sunday? And I was like, well, She goes to a different church. She's like, well, tell her to come to church and Jesus will heal her. And I was like, well, I don't know. What if she doesn't get healed? He said, brother, what if she does? Are you ready for that? (laughs) And so it really just caused me to really change the way that I process things. When I read scriptures like this, where he says, God worked with them confirming the words that they preached. So, when you stand before a room full of Muslims or people out here in the suburbs and you tell people God can set you free, I mean, we, we have to get accustomed to, to talking about a big God in a big way. Or we're going to get stuck in this, this world where we where kind of feel like we're begging God to do things that He already wants to do. Does God want to save sinners? Does God want to reveal himself to people? Does he want to touch people's lives and see them transformed and see them conform to the image of his son? We already know this. Of course he does. But sometimes we get nervous because we feel like, well, I don't want to say something because if it doesn't happen, then I don't want God to look bad. But if we're being honest, we, we don't want to look bad. If I'm being honest, I don't want to tell you, hey, man, if we pray for you, God could heal you because I'm afraid that they're going to think that I'm not a real Christian. And God, I'll be honest, God, he doesn't need me to defend him. I don't, I don't know who said the quote, but somebody I heard somebody say before, you know, a lion doesn't need you to defend it. You just got to let him out of the cage. It's the same with the gospel. You don't need to figure it out, how it all works. You want to find out how powerful this grenade is? Just pull the pin. We could explain to you all the insides and how it all works. Or we could just pull the pin and we all find out sure enough. And this is the way we're doing life. This is how we're seeing God move. And I would encourage you the same here because when we look at Jesus and we look at His life, Jesus is the prototype man. Jesus shows us what it means to be a human being. He was 100% human and 100% God. His 100% humanness shows us what it looks like to be a human. And so how do humans respond to the poor and the oppressed, how should humans respond to people that are outcast, people that are sick? What does a human do? What makes sense? Or do they do what the Father's doing, right? Jesus reveals the Father to us, and He shows us what it looks like to be you. This is the standard for you. Live like Jesus. Well, I can't do any of those things. I, I mean, I've been there. I put these limitations on myself. But what if, what if we looked at the life of Jesus as a human and we we understood the fact that he was a human being that was submitted to the will of the Father, a a human being who heard the voice of the Father, who was led by the Holy Spirit. I mean, for us to live the way Jesus lived to be like Him, but not have the ability to even come close, that would be a very cruel expectation that the Father would set upon us. Don't you think? And so we, we have to come to terms, and, and I hate to be so forward, but I, I, I don't, I don't want to sugarcoat We have to come to terms with the fact that the real problem here with our expectation of what God can do is us. What are you expecting God to do in your life? What are you expecting God to do in your children's lives? What are you expecting God to do in Iraq or in Africa or in the west side of Chicago? Because if we really expected God to do something great, I believe this, if we really expect it, then we're going to give ourselves to it. We're going to give ourselves to it in prayer and fasting, our time. We're going to get out there. We're going to put our hands to it because you believe God's going to do it. Man, we're, we're literally, we've had two times, one this year and one last year, where we've had 100 hours of worship and prayer. That's history. For 100 hours straight, Iraqis, Muslim background and Christian background, for 100 hours straight are worshiping Jesus. And it gets me, my, it gets us so fired up because we're realizing, man, this hasn't happened before. We're literally watching history be, ma- be made before our eyes. We get to be a part of it. I want to be a part of it because I know God's doing something. I know this is only the beginning. When we look at Jesus' life and, and, and the expectation that he placed upon his disciples. Matthew 10.1 says... Where'd it go? 10.1 says, Jesus summoned his 12 disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out, to heal every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. Jesus, that's a little much, don't you think? That's a lot of responsibility, that you would expect me to do those kinds of things. So I, I want to encourage you guys, as you hear these stories about these dreams, you hear these stories about these encounters, these Muslims that are getting saved, that are getting baptized, don't just think that's something that God is doing on the other side of the earth because He cares more. Or he's doing it on the other side of the earth because they need it more. He's doing it because he can't help himself. He loves people. He wants to reach people. And so how many people do you come into contact with on a regular basis that God is yearning on the inside to have an encounter? How God desires for them to know him. I was preaching a couple weeks ago and I was was sharing on Matthew 7 and how Jesus is going to have to tell some people who say, well, didn't we prophesy in your name? Didn't we cast out demons in your name? Didn't we do this and this in your name? And he's going to have to say, get away from me, you workers of iniquity, because I never knew you. And as I was preaching on that, it, it hit me. That oftentimes we talk about this passage as a way to identify false prophets and false teachers. But for me, what really gripped me was the fact that Jesus, the one who bled on the cross for all humanity, is going to have to look at somebody he loves and say, I don't know who you are. You have to go. And it just crushed me. It crushed me to know that the one I love has to look at one he loves and says, I don't know who you are. I paid for you, but I never got what I paid for. When Paul says that the the love of Christ compels him to reach people. What What are you expecting God to do in your life? Jesus is the one who defines what's normal. Jesus is the normal human being. He did a lot of miraculous supernatural things. And by his standards, that's normal for those of us that know him. If we're going to see him do great things, we we have to look to him, and we have to walk by faith. There's no faith required when you know how it's all going to work out. There's no faith required when you know what you know. Plan two, three, four, five, and six is. You know, I was talking with a, with a missionary friend of mine and how some mission organizations they require you to have like. You know, 90% of your monthly support plus, you know, this money for uh, emergencies and this money for backup and this money for this and that. And we're just saying how there's not a lot of faith required in that. There's faith to believe for God to provide. But if you can't leave until you have all the money you need, then how are you really taking a step of faith and trusting God to provide? It's almost like, God, before I'm going to obey you, you've got to put every every step in its rightful place before I'm going to step out. And there's no faith required with that. And we call it wisdom, but it's fear. And I, I don't want to live that way. I don't want to call my fear wisdom and, and live at a, at, a, at a, if I can say it this way, like at a lower level than what Jesus wants me to be living at. I want to be close to Him. I want to hear His voice. I want to know what, what's burdening Him. I want to know what He's rejoicing in. I'm all in. And so sometimes my expectations and what I think is is reality is different than what others might think. And I want to encourage you guys to do the same. You know, in, in Hebrews 11, in the first 32 verses, the author of Hebrew uses the words, by faith, 19 times. By faith, Abraham. By faith, Noah. By faith, David. By faith, and he goes on and on and on and on and on. Now, are we going to sit here and pretend like Abraham and Noah and Moses and Rahab and everybody else that's mentioned? Are we going to pretend like they're some sort of superhumans? Like they had something we don't? I mean, the first half of these people, that he, all these people he mentioned, as far as I understand it, were not born-again believers in the sense that we know it, and so they didn't have the Holy Spirit dwelling on the inside of them, but yet they were able to walk by faith. So how much more should we? How much more those of us who have the presence of God living on the inside of us, should we be walking by faith and taking risks? A year and a half ago, when I sat on that plane at Terminal 5 in O'Hare Airport, and we got all the kids' seatbelts on, and we're sitting there, and I, we checked in with our one-way tickets, and I was so overwhelmed. I was so overwhelmed because I sat there, and I thought, oh, snap. <laughs> like, man, I, I really heard God. And I've had other instances where that's happened, but it doesn't, you don't get past that. You don't get to the point where you're just like, no, this is always going to happen. Like every time it's, it's a risk, it's a step of faith where I'm saying, man, we're literally moving to Iraq. Man, I, 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 got, I thought God spoke to me and I started walking in that direction, not knowing that the next step was going to be there, but I, I call it a stubborn faith. I just, it's part of its faith, part of it's I'm just stubborn, so I'm just going to keep going. And God met me there. And so I started telling people, man, God spoke to me to go to Iraq and to do these things. And God confirmed the things that we preached with miraculous signs. Before we left, it was through provision. I mean, we raised more money than I could have ever have thought. I and mean, when it was just one of those things where it's like we got to move to another country and God provided through his church. I shared earlier, like, we, we have financial needs now, but God's, he's always provided. There's never been a person who's been called by God. You won't find one in history or in the scriptures. There's never been a person that's been called by God that God did not provide for. And so you're not the exception to the rule. Your case isn't different. And so maybe there's something God wants you to do here in, in this part of the city or in this suburb or wherever it is that you live, in your school, in your job. What do you believe in God to do? Is your expectation kind of like, well, I'm just going to hope and I have a good day. Or are you expecting God to bring somebody to you that says, hey, man, I know that you're a Christian and I got these questions. I had this crazy dream or this thing happened to me and I, 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 just, I need to talk to somebody. What are we expecting God to do? <clears throat> I want to read Hebrews 11, starting at verse 32. Because as I was preparing, I was just, this just kind of just jumped out at me, and I felt like it was an, an appropriate chunk of Scripture to read. Because if we're really going to walk by faith... If we're going to have God expand our our vision and our expectation for what he wants to do. We all know God can do it. The question is, does he want to? We know God could pour out his spirit and we can see a great revival in this part of Chicago. It could happen tomorrow. We all know it can happen. But do you really think he wants to? You get on Facebook and you see what's happening on the west side of Chicago, on the south side of Chicago. You see what's happening in, all over the country. I mean, I just saw a compilation video from Black Friday where people were beating each other up in a mall. And we, in our heads, we think, oh, God doesn't want to do it. I mean, we don't deserve it. These guys, they're all, all ungrateful. They're selfish. Hello? That's usually where God wants to reach people. It's usually where he wants to pour out his love and, and, and get a hold of people. <clears throat> and so after the author of Hebrews goes through his discourse of by faith, by faith, by faith, 19 times, in verse 32 he says this, How much more do I need to say? It would take too long to recount the stories of the faith of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and all the prophets. By faith, these people overthrew kingdoms, ruled with justice and received what God had promised them. By faith, they received what God had promised them. They shut the mouths of lions. They quenched the flames of fire and escaped death by the edge of the sword. Their weakness was turned to strength. They became strong in battle and put whole armies to flight. Women received back their loved ones from the death. But others were tortured, refusing to turn from God in order to be set free. They placed their hope in a better life after the resurrection. Some were jeered, jeered at and their backs were cut open with whips. Others were chained in prison. Some died by stoning. Some were sawed in half. And others were killed with the sword. Some went about wearing skins of sheep and goats, destitute and oppressed and mistreated. Men of whom the world was not worthy. Wandering over deserts and mountains, hiding in caves and holes in the ground, all these people earned a good reputation because of their faith. Yet none of them received all that God had promised, for God had something better in mind for us, so that they would not reach perfection without us. All of these people who were beaten and chained, they, women received back their dead, some were sawn in half. These people, they did all of these great things and he says they received a good reputation. Why do we know who they are? Why did they write about them in Hebrews? Because of their faith. Not because they weren't willing to take risks, but because they had faith and believed God wanted to deliver them. God wanted to reach people in their generation. But yet, he says, they have not yet received all that God had promised because God wanted to do something better for us, through us. Chapter 12, Hebrews 12 says, Therefore, based on what we just read, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight and, that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up, and let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross disregarding its shame. Now he is seated at the place of honor besides God's throne. Think of all the hostility he endured from sinful people, and then you won't become weary and give up. After all, you have not yet given your lives in your struggle against sin. The author of Hebrews says, look at." If we're going to do this, if we're going to pick up where these guys left off, we've got to walk by faith. And how do you walk by faith? You keep your eyes on Jesus, the perfect human. You don't keep your eyes on the person sitting next to you. I don't keep my eyes on my wife. I keep my eyes on Jesus. I don't keep my eyes on 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 my, my boss who's making more money than me, who's got a better car than me. I don't keep my eyes on the person who's doing less, but what I think is worse off than me. I don't keep my eyes on my, on my Facebook and Instagram friends. We keep our eyes on Jesus. That's the only way that we're going to see God move in our own lives. And this, this, is, this is the normal life for a believer. Because when you look at Jesus' life, this is what it looked like. The standard didn't change for Frankie Rodriguez because he grew up in a fatherless home. The standard didn't change for Frankie because he dropped out of high school and got a GED. And oftentimes people try to make us out to be some sort of superhero Christians because we moved to Iraq. I'm still the same person I was the day I left. I watch TV, I don't eat well. Sometimes I'm selfish and I don't serve my wife. Sometimes I kick the kids out of the room because they're making too much noise and I just want to chill and not be bothered. My wife's a super Christian, not me. I mean, I'm 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 just like you guys. And we're just like these guys. And if we're really going to get a hold of God and we're going to let God get a hold of us, we've got to fix our eyes on Jesus. This is normal life for believers. This is normal life in the kingdom. So, what are you believing God for? What kinds of things are you praying for? Dream big. I saw a sign for the for the casino on the on the interstate on the way here, and it said, "Dream big," and it said, "No bigger." I was like, "I like that." So we're going there after this. (laughs) (laughs) I I want to encourage you guys, man. Don't be limited by your own fears, your own concerns. Trust God. Believe he wants to do far more than you could ever dream of. Yeah, I want to I I want to just close with this. You know, if if you're sitting here and you're feeling like, "Hey, okay, I you got me. My my expectation is very low. I'm not believing God for a lot. I'm kind of just going with the motions." You know, I got kids, and they got soccer, and they got dance, and they got cheerleading, and I got work, and I got a car, and then I got a house. And, you know, if you if you're just kind of got bogged down with life, and you feel like, okay, now what? Now I just feel like you just exposed, you know, I knew where I was at. <laughs> I've been there. And one of the things I love about the Lord and his heart is that God doesn't expose us so that he can shame us and embarrass us. He doesn't expose where we're at, because if we're all really honest with where we're at, we all know the areas in our lives where we could grow. We all know the areas in our lives where we don't sacrifice enough or where we don't pray or we don't pray with faith or whatever it is, we are aware of those things. And I love Jesus' heart because it's never, he never points it out because he wants to embarrass you in front of other people. It's always rooted in an invitation. He always exposes those things to you in your heart because he's inviting you to go deeper. He's inviting you to be free from the shame and the guilt of not measuring up. So I want to pray. I want to pray generally and then I'd ask you to pray on your own before the Lord. If you know that God is inviting you into something else, something deeper, something more, don't let this moment pass. You didn't miss your window. You didn't miss your opportunity. There's always a fresh start. God told you to do something five years ago, ten years ago, two weeks ago, and you just got busy. Guess what? You can start today. You can start taking steps of faith today. His mercy is new every day. So, Father, I thank you. I thank you for giving us a chance to look at how amazing you are. That we can hear about the Daniels, we can hear about the the, uh, the Syrian refugees, the the, the Arab refugees. We can hear about the Kurdish families that are getting born again and getting baptized. We can hear about the Iranians that are traveling across the country because they want to know you, Jesus. They want to learn. We can hear about this and we think, God, you're so amazing. God, I pray that you would not let us lose sight of how awesome you are. You would not let us lose sight of how desperate you are to reach people. You wouldn't let us lose sight of your desire to have a people of every nation, every tribe, every tongue. And your your desire to have our co-workers and neighbors and classmates. God, you, you died for them, Jesus. You gave your life with them in mind. God, don't let us let go of that. Don't let us see them and just walk away pretending like that didn't happen. God, I pray that you would help us by the Spirit to walk by faith, to know you, to hear your voice, to take risks. God, to take what we define as risks, because obeying your voice is never a risk. There's never a risk at obeying your voice, God. There's never been a person who obeyed you and regretted it down the road. So God, I pray, Lord, that you would empower us by your spirit. That you would empower us by the grace of God to live this out. We thank you, Father. We love you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the sermon from Harvest Community Church. If you'd like more information or have any questions or comments, check out our website at harvest-community.org. Thanks for listening.